Our image for this series is Daniel in the Lion's Den. This particular painting is by Henry Oswa Tanner, a man whose faith in God kept his life in control in a world that was sometimes out of his control. We'll get to the story of the lions and Daniel in a few weeks, but it's a picture of people trying to take control and remembering who is actually in control. We live in a world today that often feels out of control or as if others are taking control. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah lived in a world where Babylon has taken control, and yet these four men are never out of control because they have faith in the one God who controls everything. One of the things I like to have some control over is what I eat. I remember when I first moved out of my parents' house and went grocery shopping for the first time. I went through the whole store and had filled up my cart. When I looked into my cart, I realized I had filled it up with all the things that my mom would buy, not necessarily the foods that I liked. I went back through the store and put everything back on the shelves, and then I started shopping from scratch. I bought ground turkey instead of ground beef. I bought frosted mini-wheats instead of frosted flakes, and I bought sourdough bread instead of wheat bread. It was nice to have control over my food. For those uh, at our in-person worship service today, you have the choice of eating some food. Archaeologists have recovered three recipes from ancient Babylon, and I've tried my best to recreate one of them, a lamb stew. If you're watching online and are near Oakdale, Minnesota, and you would like to try some, send me a message however you can. In the comments, online, connection card, phone me, text me, email, and I'll try and save some for you. I can't say for certain that this lamb stew that I made is the exact food that was served to Daniel, but I do know that it is the type of cuisine of ancient Babylon. Let's read this part of the story of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from Daniel 1, 2 through 21. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food. And deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
So they began to attend the king. In every manner of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the first instance of many that we will see that Daniel is a person of conviction. He has a truth that he lives out that is sometimes in contradiction to his society. Today we want to discover on what basis does he have this strong conviction. This conviction that seems to affect something minor such as food but also affects great things such as his worship of God and the value he places on people's lives. The first thing I want us to notice is that Daniel's conviction is not defined by preference. It is normal and okay to have preferences. We all have preferences of music, of clothing, of food. When I first came to Oakdale, one of the teenagers, Adrian, asked me, who's your team? I told him that I believe a person should always root for the home team. In Minnesota, you can prefer any football team just or no football team. Just don't root against the Vikings. You know, what's your favorite restaurant? My favorite here is called Nacho Mama's in Stillwater. Great Mexican food. And Daniel also, I'm sure, has preferences because he's human. It's not that Daniel didn't like lamb, but maybe he liked how his mom cooked it. And this is something most of us can say. My mom's cooking is the best. Daniel had taste preference, and he also had religious preferences. When an Israelite made an animal sacrifice to God, sometimes the whole sacrifice was burned to ash, but usually the meal was simply cooked. The family that brought the sacrifice and the priests would share the meal, the meat. And in a similar manner, other cultures would also eat meat sacrificed to their gods. This came up in the early church as people had different convictions on whether to eat or abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. The meat given to Daniel was likely sacrificed or blessed to in honor of Marduk. The covenant between God and Israel also has instructions regarding food. Leviticus 11 says animals have to have a split hoof and chew cud. Fish have to have fins and scales. Birds have to not eat carrion. Insects have to be of the grasshopper type. In Leviticus 17, says animals have to be killed in a prescribed way and all the blood drained out because they were not to eat blood. And in Deuteronomy 14 and Exodus 34, they spe- it specifically says not to boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Jewish rabbis interpret that as not mixing meat products with milk products. So no cheeseburgers. Now this Babylonian stew that I've made uh, for today, the lamb is the meat and the recipe specifically calls for the blood to be cooked in the broth. And also the broth is milk based. As an observant Jew, uh, any they should not eat Babylonian stew. Now that doesn't mean... The stew doesn't smell good and it doesn't taste good. It also doesn't mean it's not healthy. There are onions, garlic, carrots, and potatoes in the stew. That's a healthy meal. Daniel is intelligent enough not to call the food unhealthy, 
the chief eunuch has no reason to give anyone unhealthy food because it's his job to make sure that these young men are in the best physicality and in their intelligence. Daniel has taste and religious preference, but that's not the basis for his conviction because he doesn't refuse the food. He asks for permission. You know, if I'm going to have right convictions, I must not confuse my preferences with truth or with holiness. Preferences are what I like or what I'm accustomed to. Truth and holiness are absolutes from God. And right convictions are based in obedience to God. That's tough because it means to follow God, I may have to go against things that I like and things that go against and beyond my food desires, but also maybe my relationship desires, my sexual desires, my whatever desires. Conviction is not defined by preference. And conviction is also not defined by politics. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have been kidnapped and conscripted into the Babylonian Empire. Their captives are attempting to strip away their power, their culture, and identity. It's safe to say that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have different politics than the Babylonians. But politics do not define Daniel's convictions. Daniel not only makes an appeal to the chief eunuch, but chooses to work with the chief eunuch and the guard to come up with a solution. Daniel wants to live and succeed, and so does the chief eunuch. Despite their different politics, there are some things they agree on. First, they agree that a king's servant should not be defiled. A king during this time is much like a priest. The king is the mediator between the God and the people. The king walks with the divine. So one does not enter the king's presence or work for the king if they are defiled with religious impurity. A servant um, should not bring the curse of any god into the royal house. So even though the chief eunuch is probably a different religion than Daniel, they can agree that a king's servant should not be defiled. Second, a king's servant should not be or look thin and unhealthy. Having enough to eat shows the prosperity of the nation. So a king's servant should not be sick or haggard looking. When someone works for the king, they must look good. Remember, one of the criteria for picking these guys in the first place was that they were good looking. In Daniel 8.27, after Daniel receives one of his visions, he's exhausted and sick for days. It's not until he has recovered that he returns to the king's business. Daniel's conviction is not based on politics. If Daniel had the political choice, he would not work for the king of Babylon at all. Instead, he's working a plan with his political enemies to be the best servant of the king he can be. Daniel doesn't go on a hunger strike, but instead proposes a limited time test where Daniel and his friends eat fruits, vegetables, and grains. And at the end of ten days, everyone, not just Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, everyone will be evaluated. At the end of the ten days, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah look better and healthier than everyone else. After three years, they are ten times better in wisdom and understanding than the people who had already been in the king's service. 
Daniel is a living example of Psalm 119.99. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. This reminded me of something that happened here in Oakdale after the murder of George Floyd. Uh, Michelle Stark, the community relations officer for the Oakdale Police Department, got a group of people together to talk on video. And this group included Police Chief Sullivan, Sergeant uh, Nicholas Newton, who was on the scene at the protest at Derek Chavon's house, Freddie Giles, who was one of the protesters, and me, a local pastor. Our politics, our thoughts on Black Lives Matter, our experiences and religious beliefs were all different. But we came together to try and start healing our community. The link for that discussion is in the video notes. My convictions cannot be based in my politics because politics don't determine what's right. What is right should determine my politics. And that will probably leave me with no political party. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I may not have a political party, but I will have a lot more community partners to help me do good and live out my convictions. If conviction is not defined by preference and conviction is not defined by politics, then how did Daniel define his conviction? Conviction is defined by purity. We've already seen Daniel is concerned about not defiling himself, but it is deeper than just his Israelite religious dietary restrictions. Daniel could have drunk the king's wine and still maintained his covenant with God. There's no Israelite law against drinking wine. Wine is drunk at Passover. Psalm 104.15 speaks of wine that gladdens the heart. Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine at a wedding celebration. Jesus institutes the new covenant by drinking wine with his disciples. Biblically, wine, when not drunk to excess, is put in the category of good. Wine was also safer to drink in Daniel's time because it was less likely than water to be contaminated due to the alcohol content. Water is a symbol and tool for purity, but may not be the cleanest. Water may have made Daniel ceremonially clean, but physically defiled, yet he chooses water over wine. Daniel is aware of and may already have in his possession the writings of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 51.7 says, Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand, making the whole earth drunk. The nations drink her wine, therefore the nations go mad. Daniel is taking this prophecy very literally, as sometimes young people do. The Babylonians are trying to remake him into a Babylonian, to drink their wine. So in order to maintain his purity before God, he will literally not drink Babylonian wine. While Daniel maintains his purity throughout his whole life, he does not maintain this literalness of application in doing it. In Daniel chapter 10, he's now serving under Cyrus, king of Persia. Daniel has been in exile for over 70 years because Cyrus is the one who, in the first year of his reign, according to Ezra chapter 1, allowed the people to return to Israel after 70 years. And Daniel chapter 10 is in the third year of Cyrus's reign. Here's Daniel 10, 2 and 3. 
In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food. No meat or wine entered my mouth, and I did not put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. Daniel says for three weeks while he was in mourning, he didn't eat the king's food or wine, which means before this period of mourning and after this period of mourning, he did eat those things. At some point in his life, Daniel's conviction on what he could eat and drink changed. But his conviction to obey God never changed. Daniel learned that purity doesn't come from convictions, but from a relationship with God. Right convictions are not based in preference or politics, but obedience to God. Daniel's life is not defined by the things he did not do, but the things that he did. Jesus said it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, but what comes out of them. Initially, Wesleyans in the United States were defined by what we did. Wesleyans were not known for not having slaves. Wesleyans were known for actively working to abolish slavery. We're also known for working to bring the right to vote to blacks and women. It was later that Wesleyans were known for what we didn't do. Wesleyans didn't drink alcohol. Wesleyans didn't wear jewelry. Wesleyans didn't dance. When we define ourselves by what we don't do, we may miss out on doing something that we should. You know what else we Wesleyans didn't do? Wesleyans didn't engage in the civil rights movement. Fortunately, things have changed for the Wesleyan Church, and we are again knowing for what we do in obedience to God. At the national and international levels, Wesleyans work to end human trafficking. Wesleyans help immigrants and support comprehensive immigration reform in the United States. Wesleyans are building multi-ethnic congregations through the work of reconciliation. Jesus also didn't let other people's preferences or politics determine what his convictions were. In Matthew 11, 18 and 19, Jesus says, For John, that's John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. In our gospel reading today, Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus wants Peter's conviction to be one of constantly forgiving because Jesus knows that at his arrest and death, Peter, like all of us, is going to be in need of the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. My purity doesn't first come through what I do or don't do anyway. My purity comes through the person and work of Jesus the only person to live completely pure and able to take my impurity from me. It is from there that my conviction is to be like Jesus. Obeying God is first about what I do, and right convictions are based in obedience to God. My politics says the less people drink alcohol, the less alcoholics and drunk drivers we will have. And yet I See, on the other hand, that the Bible calls wine a drink of celebration. Alcoholic drinks at a personal preference for me, I could take it or leave it, and would probably leave it. But if having a beer with someone means I can talk with him about Jesus, pour me a mug. I'll drink it just like Daniel probably ate and drank 
with King Nebuchadnezzar in order to tell him about the one true God. Food. Who knew it could be such a part of our convictions? I remember once I was in a Chinese food restaurant with my wife Jennifer and our friend Nicole. I don't recall what Jennifer and I had ordered, but I know whatever it was, both of our dishes had some kind of sauce on it. Nicole was trying to eat healthy, and she didn't see anything on the menu that fit with her diet. She asked the waiter, is there any way I could just get some steamed broccoli and some shrimp? And the waiter smiled and nodded his head and said, sure. My food came out, and Jennifer's food came out, and I thought what I had was good until Nicole's food came out. Steam was coming off this bowl of green broccoli, and the shrimp wasn't covered in any breading, sauce, or oil. The aroma of her food was so good that it made my food smell bad, and I could hardly eat it. Nicole didn't have a conviction about what I should or should not eat. She just had a desire to eat pure, and her actions influenced me. As we work through our convictions in our time, let's not be focused on changeable things like my own preference or politics, but the desire to stand pure before God. Let's pray from Psalm 103, which says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who reverence him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who reverence him. Lord, without your compassion, none of us would able would be able to stand before you. It is through the gift of your Son, Jesus, that we are both forgiven and able to obey. May the things we choose to do and live by be guided by our walk with you, so that we may stand before you pure and call others into a relationship with you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you have heard. May the God who purifies us by the blood of his Son purify your hearts, and may you live with a clear conscience before him this week.